And welcome once again to A Plain Answer. Thanks for joining us today here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today, two fellas, Reverend Mark Diedrich, serving as pastor of the PCA Church in Kingston, New York. Mark's also a longtime area naturalist and outdoorsman. Besides that, he's an educator, and he lives in Carhonkson, New York, with his wife and two daughters, and also a son in Brazil and another daughter out in Colorado. Also with us is Dr. Hans Vogt, Associate Professor at Ulster County Community College. And if you ever find yourself taking a history course at U-Tri-C, there's a good chance that you'll encounter Professor Vogt. And Hans lives in Saugerties, New York, with his wife, Debbie, and their two children. Hi. Good morning, Dan. Nice to have you fellows with us. This uh, program, A Plain Answer, um, what we do with this program is within the milieu of history and theology and current events, we attempt to explore a variety of questions of interest which have been brought to our attention by either you, the listener, or items that we've dug up as we prepared for this program. We'll offer a perspective that's anchored in history and biblical theology to help flesh out the topic and provide something for you to think about. And also a reminder, if you want to participate in this program, please send us your questions. You can do this by emailing us using the link on our website. And of course, the goal always is to fold in pastors, and uh, Mark will always be here, and we'll have other guests folded in throughout the year. So today's topic, maybe uh, Mark, you could introduce it for us, for the listener. It's related to John Calvin and his birthday. Right. On uh, July 10th, it's John Calvin's birthday, his 500th birthday. John Calvin was born on July 10th in 1509. So wait a minute now, that was yesterday. That was yesterday. So that means Hans is going to be singing happy birthday. No. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this is pretty significant, all right? This is 500 years since this guy was born. You know, I was doing a little bit of reading. Uh, I think, uh, I forget where I found this quote, but it said that uh, the thought of John Calvin, his thinking, perhaps even more so than Martin Luther, that that thought created patterns uh, and thought that would uh, dominate Western culture uh, throughout the modern period. And American culture in particularly is... uh, quite Calvinistic in some form or another, and I guess that's what we really want to explore today. What was the effect of John Calvin, uh, I guess, first on the American Revolution, I believe, is is one of the questions that uh, we have before us. Yes, when you think about our July 4th celebration of independence and then John Calvin's birthday all happening within a week of each other, it kind of brings the two together, and so you have to think, well, you know, what is the connection, especially when you start looking at some of the history. Some of them, of course, Calvinism is often associated with the Presbyterian Church. And in England, it was the American Revolution was often called the Presbyterian Rebellion. You know, I had heard that, and I forgot all about it. <laughs> now, Calvin, um, I was reading, he was schooled, right, in uh, Latin, Hebrew, Greek, philosophy, and law, so he had a pretty full-orbed education, by the sounds of it. Master of Arts uh, while he was still a teenager at the University yeah. of Paris. Mm-hmm. Then studied law uh, at his father's urging. Uh, 
But when his father passed away, that left uh, Calvin free to pursue what was his really his true love uh, in the interest of theology. <laughs> yep. Now, he apparently had a uh, deep, uh, what we would call a conversion experience, right, uh, Mark? I think I was reading yeah. about uh, during his last three years in France, uh, uh, he experienced uh, uh, what he called a sudden conversion. Right. One of the interesting things is we don't know an awful lot about when exactly that happened. Um, apparently, he didn't raise his hand and go forward at any meeting, but uh, he certainly did have a very significant conversion uh, at some point while he was still in France, uh, to the point where when he helped, was it in 1533, uh, one of the men that was elected as rector of the University of Paris, Nicholas Kopp, got together. And when Nicholas Kopp was going to write his speech, the rector always gave a message to start things off. Calvin was one of those who helped him write it. And as soon as he gave it, both Nicholas Kopp and Calvin, John Calvin became persona non grata and were run out of <laughs> <Right>. town. <laughs> right. His thinking, um, I don't know how we could summarize it, because I, I, I'm holding right, of course a listener can't see this, I'm holding in my hand a big heavy book, and it's just one of two books, and this is called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. These things are huge. Yet, uh, as I've read through just a portion of this, very little, Calvin's thinking has spanned many topics. Um, Certainly, it's theological, it's the life of the church, it's the knowledge of God, uh, all these things. And then, towards the end of um, the second volume here that I'm holding, he talks about civil government. So, Mm -hmm. I guess our question today ties into this civil government and how that got fleshed out in America. I think um, Calvin's Institutes, of course, uh, first published in 1536 and then revised many times uh, and expanded. Um, The starting point for Calvin was always God's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether you talk about, of course, his famous uh, doctrine of predestination, but um, in everything, it's God's sovereignty. And so, human sovereignty, that is the sovereignty of a, of a government or of a magistrate, uh, always went back, uh, was a based on a, a limited version, uh, always subject to the ultimate authority and control of God. And as Christians, uh, we often talk about the sovereignty of God. To, to me, I know that that's, that's just a precious truth, because um, when, when I know that my life is cared for by this sovereign, personal God who has relationship with us as people. Uh, it gives me a great sense of peace. And mm-hmm. uh, and so that's a real practical, personal side uh, to the sovereignty of God, certainly. This view of Calvin then extends not just to the spiritual, um, but to the civil government. I have a quote here, and he says this in uh, chapter 20 under civil government. He says, Now, since we have established above that man is under a twofold government, you know, he was talking about spiritual and civil, and since we have elsewhere discussed at sufficient length the kind that resides in the soul or inner man and pertains to eternal life, this is the place to say something also about the other kind, which pertains only to the establishment of civil justice and outward morality. 
you know, I'm, I get the sense that with Calvin, uh, civil government was necessary because of the laws and rules that God has given by which we're to live moral lives. You need the other part of the equation, the, the civil part, as this gets fleshed out in everyday life. Yes, you need the civil part of the government to take care of that. But in so doing, what Calvin was doing was he was also saying that the civil part of government is also under the sovereignty of God. Mm-hmm. And therefore, when the civil government acts, it needs to act responsibly, or if they don't act responsibly, they are insulting God, is one of the phrases you use. They, they're actually an insult to God. And so... It kind of flies in the face of a a lot of the theory at the time, which was about the divine right of kings. Mm, And so he is kind of flying in the face of that. Mm -hmm. Right. Calvin talks about uh, going from, of course, Paul, that uh, rulers are ordained by God. uh, And that not just for the sake of having a power or having a Mm -hmm. palace, uh, but that they are ordained for a purpose, that they bear the sword for the sake of uh, enforcing uh, those just moral laws. And so, while on the one hand, rulers, Calvin says, needs to be uh, acknowledged and honored, uh, they also, rulers have a responsibility to govern in accordance with those laws and uphold God's justice. You know, what you're talking about there just reminds me, uh, certainly Calvin must have gotten this from uh, Romans chapter 13, where it says, uh, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. That's a fascinating chapter, the whole of uh, Romans 13 there. Well, we're coming up on a break here. And you're listening to A Plain Answer. After the break, we'll be back to discuss the effect of Calvin's thoughts on the American Revolution. Stay with us. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And we're back. You're listening to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. In the studio with us today is Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. Hans Vogt. 
We're talking about the thought of Calvin. John Calvin's birthday was yesterday, 500 years ago, and uh, his thought has had an immense influence upon America and the founding of America, and so we'll jump right back in and continue our discussion. Uh, Maybe to get us started, here is another quotation from Calvin, where he was talking about the necessity of civil government. He was giving two examples of types of men that had to be <laughs> that had to be dealt with. He says, um, uh, "Insane and barbarous men furiously strive to overturn this divinely established order." And then another one, while on the other hand, the flatterers of princes, immoderately praising their power, do not hesitate to set them against the rule of God himself. Unless both these evils are checked, purity of faith will perish. So it seems to me that at the heart of his uh, concern was that the true Christian faith would flourish and that people would know God aright. So let's talk a little bit about the revolution. During the break, in fact, Mark, I think you were mentioning the Geneva Bible. Uh, pick up yes. on that thought for just a moment, if you would. Yes, well, one, one of the things that really uh, was very expressive of liberty and the liberties that were going to be fleshed out in the American Revolution in, in terms of the government was found with the Geneva Bible. And, of course, the whole idea of having a Bible that the laity could study and read was kind of revolutionary in and of itself in the 16th century, that the regular people could read the Bible for themselves and, and, and study God's Word. And what had happened um, during Bloody Mary's reign in England, um, 1553 to 1558, hmm. you had a couple choices. Either you could stay there and probably be killed, or you could run. Mm-hmm. And many did, and a number of them ran to Geneva in Switzerland to study under Calvin, and one of them, William Whittingham, translated the Bible hmm. uh, with a group. And his Bible is known as the Geneva Bible. Well, the Geneva Bible became very popular. In fact, so popular, and, and of course the other problem to some of the rulers of the day was that William Winningham not only translated the Bible, he put notes in it. Uh, and yeah. some of these notes were not always favorable to monarchy, <laughs> and certainly the hierarchy of uh, the Church of England. And so they, they didn't like that. In fact, so much so that in 1568, Matthew Parker got together a bunch of bishops and translated another Bible called the Bishop's Bible. Well, the problem was the Bishop's Bible never got any traction. <laughs> uh, you know, even today, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe I see offers of uh, a reprint of the Geneva Bible, and this isn't the same as the modern Geneva Study Bible uh, that's put out, but uh, this original Geneva Bible with all of its notes, I believe you can still obtain those. That's correct. In fact, I brought one with me today. The you got one right there. copy of the 1599 edition. And I also have one at home that's a, a facsimile edition of the 1560, which was the first edition that came out. And you've got all the uh, footnotes memorized. And, and, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I how wish. does uh, Calvin's thought now tie into the, the revolutionary period? What kind of thoughts are in people's minds in this period um, as, as you know, this revolution is about to take place? Well, Geneva becomes a, a center, mm-hmm. uh, and... Uh, you have scholars uh, coming in from all over Western Europe to study in Geneva and then taking those 
Calvin's idea is back home. Uh, John Knox uh, to Scotland, uh, where uh, he establishes a Presbyterian Church of Scotland, or Kirk, as they like to say yeah, in right. Scotland. Uh, and uh, the Dutch, of course, uh, uh, take Calvin's ideas and then ultimately fight and win their independence from Catholic Spain uh, with the help of England in the late 1500s. Uh, the French Huguenots uh, as well, uh, and all of these groups, uh, English and Dutch and Scottish and French Calvinists, wind up in the American colonies uh, uh, and form a significant part of the population, uh, not only in New England, of course, where we know the, the Puritans helped settle, but uh, throughout the colonies. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, you know, in my own uh, history of the Elmond, you know, I'm partial to the Dutch, of course, you know, with a name like Elmendorf. <laughs> sure. But uh, some of the Elmendorfs came over, I believe, in the mid-1600s uh, in the Kingston area. And, of course, we live, uh, we all live here close to New Paltz, and there was an influx there of those French Huguenots into mm-hmm. the New Paltz area. Yeah. So you can see very close to where we live the influence of John Calvin really on these different uh, societies being set up in our area. And, and of course, the whole idea with uh, Calvinism is uh, the liberty that we have. Uh, one of the 19th century uh, writers uh, wrote that he said, you can't be a Calvinist and not be a champion for liberty. And that's what we had, so much so that I believe it was in the Battle of Yorktown, the colonels that fought on the American side at the Battle of Yorktown, all but one of them were Presbyterian. (laughs) Right. That's interesting. Well, one of the key issues, of course, is resistance to unjust rulers. Um, And Calvin himself uh, in the Institutes stopped short of declaring a right of revolution, as as John Locke would put it. Mm -hmm. Um, But what you see is that uh, Knox in Scotland, the the Dutch, uh, certainly the French Huguenots, would all resist um, by force Mm -hmm. uh, against what they saw as unjust Catholic uh, rulers Mm. uh, in France and in Spain and the Netherlands. And that idea carried over to what were then the colonies uh, in the 1700s. the Church of England, of course, was also in the colonies, and in their liturgy, they included everyday prayers for the king uh, and to support the monarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was not the case, uh, certainly in the in the Presbyterian or the Dutch Reformed or the uh, Congregational Churches of New England. Yeah. yeah. The other thing that that Calvin wrote, though, in, in the Institutes, as Hans said, he did not go and get a, a right for revolution, but he did say that lesser magistrates could oppose an unjust ruler. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, and so that's what we have, the justification of the lesser magistrates in the United States here, which wasn't exactly the United States yet, but opposing the unjust laws and rules that were being mm-hmm. uh, foisted upon the colonists. Yeah, and yet uh, we don't go all the way with Calvin's thought where you can just do anything you want uh, as, a, as a Christian man. You're always mm-hmm. under that umbrella of authority. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. And, and this goes along with the idea of these lesser authorities. Now, uh, we've got a lot of background noise here. We've got some kids walking through the area and doors opening and closing, but hey, that's just the way this program is. It's a, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's a very active program, so I yeah. hope you don't mind. Um, just by the way, when we um, do these programs, these live recordings, follow us on Twitter under RBI Network, 
and uh, we'll be posting on Twitter uh, the time that we're doing this. And also remember to use our website to submit your questions. This is one of thousands of topics that we want to talk about over time here on this program. And uh, you're welcome to give us some questions that we can chew on and work on and have various guests. Today, I'm just so honored to have Mark here. He'll be, uh, best we can tell, a permanent fixture. (laughs) (laughs) And Dr. Vogt, it's uh, such a pleasure to have you join us today. I think history is just rich. Um, You know, before we began this program, I was thinking about uh, why... Why do I care? You know, here's this question before us, uh, the effect of Calvin on America. Why do I care? And how do you answer somebody? I guess it's a general question. That, say, why do I care? I don't care about history. Why do I care about history? How do you, han- how do you handle that? <laughs> history is how we got here. Uh, and uh, we, I think particularly as Americans, take very much for granted uh, what we have, uh, the liberties that we have, Uh, the kind of government that we have. Uh, It's worked more or less for 200 plus years, and we tend to assume that it's always going to be that way or that it always has been that way, and that's not true at all. Uh, I am always reminding my students that uh, we are the exception, uh, not only historically, but in much of the world today. Mm. Uh, You can listen to the radio, open your newspaper, and hear about uh, governments being overthrown and constitutions suspended and presidents becoming presidents for life. Uh, mm-hmm. What we have here and the separation and balance of powers uh, is very rare, and we need to understand how it came to be so we can understand how to preserve it. Well put. Yeah. Amen mm-hmm. to that. We do have a great nation, and uh, sometimes we carry the burden so so strongly that uh, we feel that we're we're losing what we once had and in a sense that's somewhat true but still there's a lot to commend america yet to us uh, as christian men and women well we're almost uh, getting to the end of this program um, want to encourage you the listener to send us your questions i'm wondering if possibly we need to have a follow-on uh, with the thought of John Calvin, how it affected America, maybe uh, cover a few more aspects of his thinking, since it's such a huge topic. Uh, like sure. we mentioned earlier, the uh, Institutes of the Christian Religion are two huge volumes here, and uh, they're even heavy to carry, so uh, possibly we should have a follow-up uh, session on this. Well, how about closing remarks here today? We're looking at the influence of John Calvin's thought uh, on America. What about, uh, are there similarities between um, how he wanted to see church conducted, um, not just have one ruler, and how some of that may have uh, carried over into uh, America polity? Definitely, when you look at the uh, government that we have in our country, and you look at the Presbyterian form of government, which comes straight out of First Timothy 3, and you have uh, elders and deacons, and, and the man who is the pastor does not wield all the authority. He is under the elders, and mm-hmm. the, the elders often are chosen by the congregation, by the people. You see you have a, an accountability going back and forth through that just as our system of government 
has a system of checks and balances that runs throughout that, which, by the way, the Presbyterian form of government came before our form of, of government. <laughs> now, how would we quickly uh, describe the American uh, form of government? Just kind of summarize it, maybe. Well, I think the idea of uh, separation of powers and checks and balances um, fundamentally rests on a, a suspicion of human nature. Yeah. Yes. And understanding right. that uh, human nature is right. certainly uh, fatally flawed. Uh, and that, therefore, it is not wise to give any one man or any group of men uh, too much authority. Uh, and, indeed, um, James Madison uh, put it this way in, in the Federalist Papers. He said, if men were angels, we would have no need of government. Uh, <laughs> but they're not angels, and we do need government. Uh, and so the idea that you don't rely too much uh, on, on – certainly the Founding Fathers expected men to be – uh, elected leaders to be virtuous, um, but they did not rely on their virtue, and they put those balances and those checks in place, knowing that human nature is what it is. Well, that's a good summary statement, actually, for the whole program today, so thank you very much, Hans. And Mark, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I'm sorry we're out of time already. You're listening to A Plain Answer here on Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and today our guests have been uh, Dr. Hans Vogt, Associate Professor at Ulster County Community College, and our regular Reverend Mark Diedrich. And a reminder to find us on the web at www.redeemerbroadcasting.org. There you'll find a link to our live online stream, as well as a way that you can get in touch with us, send an email, include a question, and uh, these questions will become the basis for future programs. I want to thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today, and we look forward to next time, next Saturday at the same time, here on Redeemer Broadcasting, A Plain Answer. <laughs>